it is Wednesday now, meaning this week's WGT closest to the whole challenge is already halfway over, but there is still time to win this week's free DNVR shirt or a gift card to a local restaurant. All you have to do is go to freewgt.com and download the game. It's called World Golf Tour, and it's one of the best golf apps out there on the market. Again, freewgt.com to download. You have to download it from there to be able to compete. Once you have the game, go ahead and head over to the closest to the whole challenge game mode. This week, we are playing St. Andrew's hole number four, the one where you're playing out of the bunker from a good distance away. AJ has the secret, which is apparently you just run it up to the green. That's that's the way to get it close, apparently. I don't really know because I suck at this game. I'm not going to lie, but I try. I get it within 20 feet. <laughs> um, but yeah. Once you've played the hole, once you've done all that, take a screenshot of your score, send it in either to us on Twitter at DNVR Avalanche or just email it into info at the DNVR.com. That's all you need to do to submit. Once your score is in, you'll be entered to win the shirt or you'll also get a ticket to the grand prize that that you can do every week. So if you've been playing, keep it up so you get more raffle tickets for your chance to win and Avs tickets, or if you're out of state, a jersey of your choosing. Both extremely awesome prizes. I wish I could win them, but I'm not allowed, unfortunately. Still, you have the chance to win. FreeWGT.com. Download the game. Closest to the whole challenge. St. Andrews, hole number four of the closest to the whole challenge. Get in there. Knock it in the hole. Win yourself some free stuff. Let's jump into the show. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. See me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. You can set it up for express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. And you can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are here talking abs and answering your questions like we do every week, having the question show in the middle of the week because of Thanksgiving and all of that. This time we got some good questions. Appreciate all of you answering in the call and our last pod coming out on the DNVR.com answering answering our call by asking us questions. That sounds a little weird, but that's what happened. <laughs> Thank you for doing so. So yeah, if you're ready, AJ, let's just jump right into this one. Let us jump right in. First question comes from Evan K. I talked about this a little bit on the Denver Sports Pod today of who is the fan favorite of the Avs, and I said Matt Calvert. But you put a bit of a different twist on this. You asked after what happened with Tyson Berry and Simeon Varlamov moving on from the Avs and a lot of fans being sad to see them go. 
who is a current player on this Avs team that is loved that might be on the move or might walk in free agency soon? And I think you and I have talked about this a little bit before, and it's probably Matt Nieto. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. It's just kind of the reality of when you have to pay those depth guys like that. Let's let's say that Matt Nieto finishes with a 25-point season. Yep. Um, You know, I don't care how he gets there. You know, two years ago, he had 15 goals. Last year, he had four. The points were almost identical. However he gets there is fine. Um, I just, I, I just don't think that they can continue to put the money into that fourth line. Uh, everybody, everybody is like, oh, can they afford to pay Taylor Hall? Can they, how much, you know, they've got to be careful. Andre Burakovsky is getting pretty expensive. He keeps scoring goals. You know, they can afford those guys and teams for the most part, will do what they have to in order to afford their top guys. But Matt Nieto, it's it, Matt Nieto could be in line to make more than Matt Calvert on a, on a free agent deal right now. And they just can't go there. It's just simply too much for a bottom six on a team that has the contracts coming up that the abs do. Yeah. And you know, I mean, Matt Calvert, at 2.85 is still just a, I mean, it's, I, I think it's the perfect price point for him at this point because he's given so much to the abs in so many different ways that it's really hard to make the argument he's overpaid. But going beyond that is for, for guys that are going to be on the fourth line, that's going to be very difficult. Once you start talking about $3 million, um, I mean, Zadorov is making 3.2, you know, JT Comfort just signed for three and a half. Matt Nieto, you're not expecting Matt Nieto to be in kind of the same realm of production as a JT Comfort and, and importance to your team as a JT Comfort. And so getting him in close to that salary range from the 1975 that he's making right now, uh, I just think that's a little tough. If Tell you what, if Matt Nieto wanted to come back for like $2.2 million, that's a different conversation for me. I would be very open to that, but it would have to be probably a two-year deal. Right. Short-term and price-controlled is pretty much the answer to those type of questions. And if Matt Nieto wants to get pay- paid like he realistically deserves to, it's probably mm-hmm. going to be from somebody else. Right. It'll it'll probably be from a team that is kind of been in Colorado's position the last couple of years where they're top-heavy. And they're looking to build a bottom six that that knows how to play the game, and can and can do things uh, consistently, and a high character guy and a guy that can fill a very specific role. And you know when you look you look around the league, and you look at okay what's a what's a team that that might make a lot of sense there you know a team like Arizona, yeah makes an awful lot of sense you know a team like Buffalo. Too top heavy. Need to find need to find some players in that bottom six that can actually play, that can actually play, and solidify and bring a certain level of accountability to your locker room. And won't transform it on his own, but is a guy that is a set and forget piece. You know what you're getting from him, right? Help you round out and try and be enough of a difference that is Arizona just missing the playoffs to getting into that first round. 
definitely. He, he if he kills even just one more penalty for you, and that's the difference between a postseason making the postseason and missing the postseason. It's worth it. Yep, exactly. So probably just the reality that it's Nieto there, which is really too bad. It is. It is. They're almost all of them are great guys. You know, losing anyone hurts a little bit. Yeah. But that's just the reality of the business. And the next question actually talks about that locker room a little bit. It asks, how would you define slash describe the leadership in the locker room as far as structure and roles? It seems that everyone's a leader, but what does this look like? And it reminded me of a phrase that you told me where Landis Gaga's the captain is kind of the ringleader of fun on the team. Mm-hmm. So... I was kind of curious to dig into that and kind of get to, okay, Landis Gug's the captain, make sure everyone's having fun, who's keeping them on track in their drills and things like that. What do you mean? Clarify for me. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm following 100%. Like, you have Landis Gug as his role in the locker room is to be the captain and make sure, you know, everyone's happy and upbeat and enjoying themselves. You have Eric Johnson who wears the A. What is his role in that leadership as far as the camaraderie in the room? Um, well, he's, you know, I think he's, I think both Landeskog and, and Johnson kind of share the, we've been here for a long time. We're not kidding around. For sure. Serious you know, about winning we, at this point. Exactly. Like, these are the guys where it's like they take, those two guys especially take a ton of pride in playing for this organization, especially. Yeah. Uh, they view this organization as, as one that gave them an opportunity. Landis Gog, it's, it's a little sillier because they used the second overall pick on him. And like, if they hadn't Florida would have used the third pick on him or, you know, Edmonton would have used the fourth pick on it or yeah. Edmonton would have used the fourth pick on him that year. So it's like, Right. No, New Jersey. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, the, like he was, he was going in the top five of that draft. Is what I'm saying. Like he didn't need to be thankful for the opportunity, but that's just who he is as a person. And the the roots run really, really deep there between those two. Uh, Eric Johnson very thankful that the Avs gave him a second opportunity, kind of a new lease on life after things soured in St. Louis. And, you know, he doesn't have particularly fond memories of his time there. Openly refers to Colorado as his home now. You know, everybody, every every time uh, the Avs play Minnesota, it's always like, for EJ, it's always like, oh, this is like your hometown team. And he's like, the Avs are my hometown team. This is my home. This is where I've been. This is where I'm going to be the rest of my life. Like, that's, you know, so these are two guys who take an immense amount of pride in being Avs. And I think that's where a lot of that day-to-day, you know, you, you you go into a workplace and you you feel the pride in working for a certain company. You know, Rudo, you have experienced this with us in the last year. Yep. You, you walked into a certain environment and you, you know, there's a lot of pride that we have in what we do and what we've built and, and our company as a general. There's, there's, and that's that's a culture thing. That's something that Brandon and RK and Andre and I and everybody else, you know, that's something that we have worked to instill a ton in our company. That's what EJ and, and Landy do for the abs company. 
is they, for the locker room, for the player aspect of that organization, they're the ones who really set the tone of, if you're here, you would better want to be here because we've put up with guys who haven't wanted to in the past and we're not about that life anymore. You either have pride in wearing that A and you put absolutely everything on the line for it or you get the hell out. And I think that's where, that's what they do. That's how they set the tone between those two. Cool. Yeah, that pretty much answers kind of what I was thinking about that. And it's just, it's interesting to see how all the characters meld together. Obviously getting to know the players that came in this year, like Belmar was someone who's very outgoing and immediately made himself a person in that room compared to the guys that have been there forever and are, are the roots of the organization. Definitely. All right. One more question here for period one. T-Rav asks, why don't analytics minded people pound the table more about going off sides? And he goes into this a little bit more talking about how that's essentially a failed zone entry. And it seems like it's an issue that the abs are having a lot this season and kind of getting into how do you solve that problem? First of all, it's really hard. Yeah. Just I ask mean, Alex Tange. That's oh geez. His last year here. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's really difficult. Uh, honestly, you're playing, you're trying to play it at a, at a fast pace. You're trying to get every advantage that you can. And you're, you try and, and cut the line as thinly as you possibly can. And we all remember the ones where guys blow it, right? You know, Jost lifting up the skate last year, coming out of the penalty box against Tampa Bay in a game. They lost one, nothing, you know, the abs, the abs had like three last season where they were called uh, goals, got called back. Cause they didn't have their skate on the ice. It's really hard to do as at, at the pace that they're playing at. You look at the, the game-winning goal that they had in Calgary a couple weeks ago, the tic-tac-toe play with Kamenev, uh, Comfer, and Nachushkin, and Kamenev drag, just barely drags the toe to stay onside. You know, it's it's just you're taking as many chances. You're trying to cut as that, that corner as thinly as you possibly can. Uh, I would say... The, the offsides that drive you crazy are the lazy ones. And, yeah. and I think that's what this question is, is about, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't personally think the ads have like a major lazy offside problem. Now that this question has been asked, I'll try and pay attention to it a little more closely tonight and in the next few games while I'm thinking about it, but it's never really struck me as like a major issue of theirs. Uh, I, I do think that obviously Offsides are bad. It takes away a possession from you. That's not a good thing. I I tend to lean in agreement with you. Maybe not for the right reasons, but we've talked about it before. The Avs are a team that hate dumping and chasing. At times yeah. to a fault, they will try and enter the zone with possession of the puck. And unless something has gone horribly wrong, it's really hard to take a lazy offsides in that situation. Yeah. I, I I think that's a fair point too. That they really are not a outside of like the Belmar line. They're not a team that looks to to do a whole lot of dumping uh, and chasing because it's just not really it's not their identity. It's not what they're being coached to do. It's not what they want to do. Uh, I would imagine that the analytics guys have stressed to the coaching staff, and I don't know how how much of that information the coaching staff has passed along to the players, but. It's really not a team that spends a lot of time dumping and chasing, and it's a good point. 
when you dump and chase, uh, it's it's easier to stay on side when you're trying to come in with possession and with speed. You're doing it at a very very fast pace, and it's very easy to just just miss it by. I mean, we're talking half a second, less sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's tough. I just I just think I mean I maybe that's a cop out of an answer, but I just don't think it's a problem that they really have. I don't think it's much of a problem either, and. <laughs> we could get into the conversation of how much being a millimeter offsides affects the play, but we won't. And we'll go ahead and wrap up this first period here as thinking about the topic of challenges at all makes me want to drink. So it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. They were established here in Breckenridge in 1990. They're the original Colorado beer. Right now, I am pulling out an Avalanche Amber Ale, sipping it because it is an Avs game night after all. So I got to rep the team. You know how it is. It's also one of their classic beers, one of their first that they ever started making. So you know they're doing it right. So keep an eye out for it at your local liquor store and also keep an eye out on DNVR, thednvr.com for our Breckenridge event calendar. I know the Broncos thing is the one coming up, which I keep talking about because there's free Breck beer at it. That's the best type of Breck beer. Go get it. It's free. You get to drink it. It's awesome. We will be back in a second. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm still Rudo. He's still AJ. We are still answering your questions here. This next one comes from Drome23. He asks, and this is going to get into a little bit of what if territory, so... Just prepare yourself. How would the Duchesne trade look if the Avs were ultimately able to sign Will Butcher and get him on the team, as well as this goes into the 2017 draft and Kale McCarr as well? Would they have Elias Peterson? Would TB4 never have been traded? And he kind of leaves it open-ended from there. The Duchesne stuff, I don't think would have... They're still going out and getting a the, Sam Gerrard or whoever. The domino effect here um, is, I think it's interesting because depending on which Duchesne trade they made, um, that would have been what I think could have affected the 2017 draft, not Will Butcher. Had Will Butcher signed with the Avs, it would have been, you know, would have been nice. Like we said at the time, <clears throat> but I don't think he ever would have been like a major, major player for them. Um, he wouldn't have gotten the power play time. I don't think that they would have uh, not targeted Sam Gerrard in that deal where it might've changed the tw- where it might've had the impact on the 2017 draft was um, the abs and Ottawa a year before had uh, Shabbat and Zibanejad package. As talking about for Duchesne. Yeah, the year before Shabbat turned into the blue chip prospect. Because you remember his D plus one, he was like, okay. Right, and then he hit the NHL and murdered well, everyone. But Yeah, and, and so there was a time in there where Shabbat was not like the premier defensive prospect in the game. And had they done that, that I think would have changed, you know, and then you, and then, then at that point you have uh Shabbat and butcher 
and Barry, uh, then maybe you don't take Makar. But without that happening, with Gerard and Butcher and Barry, um, I think you still take Makar because the upside is just too good. Um, they, right. It was. I mean, it's not. Makar is not just an offensive defenseman. You know, so that's that's where I think we we look at Makar as the TB four replacement, but you know, to to take Makar away and put Pedersen in the TB four trade probably still. And so, if you have Butcher, so I think the point that you're trying to get at here is when you're looking at a top five draft pick, you just take the best player available. Yeah, that's. You aren't worried about Will Will Butcher is not changing what you're doing with the fourth overall pick. Shabbat might have. Because had you had Shabbat and Barry and and Butcher, like you would have and you would have had that blue chip prospect on your back end that you lacked at the time. And but even then, you're still talking about having assets. I think the story then becomes maybe the Avs look out to move Tyson Barry a little bit quicker. Maybe Will Butcher mm-hmm. becomes an option to get value for. Right. That that way is how it changes it. Is is different value down the line. The actual players are fluid a bit. Yeah, it would have taken something else for the Avs to have passed up on Makar, who they they were super duper in love with it for. So yeah. um they you know they were that year they were they were Patrick, uh Heesher, Haskin and Makar, and then I don't know after that. So I, there's not even a guarantee that Pedersen would have been the guy. That's I mean we're using hindsight because Pedersen ended up good, right? You know? When Pedersen was taken at five, it wasn't automatically oh that's the home run pick. It was a very good one, but right. it was a there was it it was a I think it was a very minor upset because Cody Glass was viewed so highly as a prospect, right. and you know North American kid like those teams had scouted the crap out of him. So, you know, a little bit more of a known guy just because it's a lot easier to scout the WHL a bunch of times than it is Sweden. So, um, I, the TB four was always going to be traded. It was inevitable or another, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was not going to sign another contract with the abs. Um, they, they were too devoted to spending, assets to rebuild their defense with young players uh, that no matter how it would have changed it it would not have ended with Pedersen as it would not have ended with a McKinnon uh, Pedersen uh, one two punch down the middle it would have it would have taken something else happening in that lottery they wouldn't not at four yeah that's Sounds about right to me, at least where I stand on it. And, you know, of course, we'll never truly know because it didn't happen. But that's kind of the take with these types of things. <laughs> All right. right. Next question. Let's stick with the draft theme here. And I know I've been a little bit more on the draft than you this year, so I might be asking this one to myself. But Luke asks, looking ahead to the 2020 draft, assuming the Avs keep their first round pick and it's in the 20s 30s whatever who would you like the abs to select and have you heard of anyone the abs are keeping their eye on at this early point in the year Uh, i can tell you i have completely ignored that side of the organization up to this point 
I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't, I haven't reached out to anybody. Um, I have not talked to draft with anybody at all this season because, you know, uh, I'm focused on the Avs at this point. Um, in the past, I've been prospect focused. One, because I like it uh, a lot, but two, because it mattered. And we're talking about even if the bottom falls out for the Avs, they're probably like a 14th or 15th pick. And it, this, it's it's a new hook count conversation where it's going to be multiple years before this matters, before that player becomes an impact at the NHL level. Um, so it's it's not really something that I'm I've spent a lot of time on uh, as far as who I would like them to pick. I'll definitely defer to you, Rudo, on this one, just because I'm I, I haven't spent as much time with the draft class to get beyond the top 15 or so. I'm I'm hype on Caden Gooley. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> that would have been the dude I would have named. That's so weird. What can I say? We know our draft material, I guess. I don't know. I, because I I like the idea of a defenseman, again, um, which, you know, may, may be questionable. It's, but. it's just the reality. What is the Avs' defensive prospect pool? It's Connor Timmins right now in the pros, and then it's Bowen Byram, who will be pro next year. Mm-hmm. So that pool, those two are basically immediately going to be depleted. And after that, you have Drew Hellison and a bunch of question marks, basically. And it's, honestly, it's like Hellison and Dravilov. Yeah, based, right. And both of those players have significant questions around them as it is. And so, neither one of them are anywhere close. Right, exactly. They're both multiple years away from being NHL players. And that's where Gooley can come in. Another guy coming out of the WHL, so he'll be pro on a quicker path. And then, obviously, you have to wait and see. It's, we're making the jump to the NHL. But sure. he's shown a lot of the offensive side that I've wanted to see out of him after last year, his first year in the dub. The offense wasn't quite there yet, and that's pretty normal for 16-year-old defensemen. But it's starting to come a lot more for him. I I kind of see him as Drew Hellison with more offense, basically. <laughs> I don't have any I don't have any objection to that man. I I like him a lot. Uh, but he's not that high end guy. He's not, but the Avs don't need that high end guy and well, they're not gonna get that high end right. guy because they're not gonna be drafting in the top five. Reality, and even if they were picking... drafting in the top five this year, they're not taking a defenseman. So Right. I mean, there are some stupid good forwards in the top five of this draft. So. Yeah, there are. Um, but yeah, the reality is the Avs are probably going to end up picking somewhere between 16 and 24. Mm-hmm. So barring then, a deep playoff run, in which case you're talking. Then you're talking 30 or something. But Right. Then you're talking 28 to 27 to 31. But Gooley, I think, is a, a realistic option in that area is, is why I'm targeting him. Yeah, I I do think that the defense, you want another guy. Yep. You know, where it's going to be a couple of years, but... And, and to be honest, not only, not only does he become a guy that you can project for a few years down the road, but this is also a guy that you could use as a top trade piece if you really needed it. That's very true. That you're not, if you're, you're not looking, looking for that value... You're not looking to draft a guy to trade him. Of course not. But you look where the abs are going to be. And one reason why you could say that you could argue against taking a defenseman again in the first round is just because the age, 
You know, I mean, you look at you look at Sam Gerard. <laughs> Sam Sam Gerard, twenty one years old. Kale McCarr, twenty one years old. The elder statesman here, Nikita Zadorov, twenty four years old. I, you know, Connor Timmons, twenty one years old. Bowen Byram is eighteen. So, and we expect, like you said, we expect those guys to be maybe Zadorov. Maybe we'll see. We expect four of those guys to realistically be part of Colorado's defense in the next year. And it is a bit of a risk with such a young decor, but it also means this is the Avs decor for the foreseeable future. Right. I mean, you look at this. This is very much, and we've talked about this a lot, how Nashville did it. Nashville built that defense and they went, you know, they built it around Suter and Weber. And then when they, they just kept drafting defensemen. Wasn't like they were like, all right, we good. How did they reload when it came time? You know, they, they, they trade Shea Weber for PK Subban because they have the ability to. And then uh, they lose Ryan Suter just straight up in free agency. How do they reload? They they drafted inter- and internally they replaced them, you know, with, with Ekholm and Ellis uh, and Yossi. Right. You know, you just... And then, and then they've rolled out with those guys. Those three guys have all been mainstays in their top four for the last like six years. If you're if you're talking about a ghoulie and you're looking at that trade path, he could be the Avs version of moving a Sam Gerrard. Now, obviously, that didn't work well for Nashville, but same kind of concept. And if you and if they keep him, then he's kind of their Dante Fabro, right? The where, third pairing guy who gets super sheltered and can enjoy himself right and and can be like a young talented guy on the back end that can can slowly ease his way in if they need him to but gives them the ability to make a pk suban salary dump you know which which was essentially suban for duchene and if colorado ever needed to do that in the future you know we don't we don't know who the long-term second line center is going to be behind mckinnon we don't know what the who the wings all are are all going to be down the road. You know, you don't know where the holes are going to be on the roster four or five years from now. So if, you know, cause any of these guys may or may not work out. So that's, that's where you just, you take a, an organizational need who will definitely be in the conversation for best player available uh, at that pick. And then go, you, you know, see how, just see how it goes from there. I love, I love the idea of taking Goulet. All right, well, I'm glad we agree again. I guess I got all my arguing out on the DSP today. So, can live with that. But that's going to do it for the second period of uh, this podcast. And I'm super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, custom contract manufacturing, hoses, you name it, specifically for the current weather, snow plows. They can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber, and the blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. Whatever you need. We went and saw some of this stuff at their warehouse a while back. It still kind of blows my mind even today, just because of how awesome the machinery alone is, let alone all the stuff that they actually make. It's just kind of sweet. And Dever Rubber Company custom makes 
everything you can purchase for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people just like us here at DNVR. You can be sure to call them for all of your snowplow needs as well as the custom gaskets, hoses, anything made out of rubber, essentially. You can reach them at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcasts presented by the Green Solutions, still with Rudo, still with AJ, still answering your questions. This next one, kind of sticking with a bit of a prospect theme here. Michael asks, how have the Eagles been doing this year? Who are the standouts and who's been underperforming? You want me to lead on this one or you got any thoughts, AJ? I mean, I will just say, wow, Sheldon dries and let you go from there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Sheldon Dries has been performing quite well. I, I'll say this. I think the entire team has been playing much, much better since Jason Magna and TJ Tynan have been called up. I think the prospects are getting into the roles they need to be getting into. I think the team is freed up to play just simply better hockey, looser, more chemistry. I just think everything's been better. I say this after they got slapped down in their last game. But on the whole, since the call-ups have come, the Eagles have been a lot more fluid, a lot more effective on the offensive side of the puck. Still some interesting situations with McDonald playing as a forward now. I guess that's just the thing. That's weird. uh, But from top to bottom, they're getting a lot more consistent scoring. It's not simply relying on Tynan and Megna and the veterans to do the job. And that's where you can see a Sheldon dry step up. It's where you see a Nick Henry step up and start to fill in these roles and be effective. And then obviously on the back end, you have Connor Timmons who with Callie Rosen called up is the best defenseman on that team. Just straight up. He is better than the rest of them. He was before Rosen got called up. I think there was a competition there. Rosen was outproducing him. I like, I mean, I've liked Rosen. I think he's done exactly what we expected, but one of them is 26 and the other one is 21. Right. They're, if you're looking at the age, Timmons is is definitely well ahead of Rosen in that regard. And, you know, and the fact that it's even close, um, right, that exactly. it is a competition is a testament to just what a talent Connor Timmons is. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you 100% <laughs> there. I Not trying to take anything away from Rosen. Right. I'm very excited to see tonight. Right. Still excited to see Rosen in this call-up opportunity, but let's be real. Timmons needs a call-up at some point down the line here. Uh Uh-huh. So I I think Timmons is the biggest standout to me. We could talk about Adam Werner as well, who's played quite well there. Clearly locked down the starter job at this point for them. People kind of already got to see a little bit of him with Mm -hmm. the 40-save shutout a couple weeks ago and all of that. On the opposite side, disappointments, not really their own doing, but the injuries to Martin Kaut and Shane Bowers were really disappointing to me. Martin Kaut, in particular, he got off to a really slow start, no point in seven games, and then he's just disappeared. We have not seen him for almost a month now. And that sucks, because he was someone that I really wanted to get a call up, get starting onto that NHL track this year. Mm-hmm. And now who knows where he's going to be at when he comes back. It's looking more and more like uh, he's going to get that double slide on the ELC. Yeah, I would think so at this point, given the injury, given the slow start, given the situation the abs are in where they found ways to function 17 forwards deep without him. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Uh, 
I'd be surprised if it didn't happen. Would still like to see him at least get a couple games if he looks ready when he comes back. But he's gonna have to play a lot better than he was. Yeah, for sure. And then Shane Bowers, I thought, was starting to come on as well. And then the untimely injury kind of threw that off also. So that one's really frustrating because he was he I think he he was I don't think he was playing poorly. Before the points the, just weren't there. Yeah, exactly. And then I think it kicked up another notch. The points started to drop and he got hurt immediately. Yep. And it was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Especially as the abs were continuing to lose guys. Yeah, it's. Those are the type of injuries that are, are brutal ones. It, it in Cout's regard, it feels a lot like kind of what happened to AJ Greer. Where he had one solid year in the AHL, got some call up time, and and then he ended up missing a ton of the next season and had a really rough season in the AHL when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that makes it the path to the NHL becomes a lot more difficult when that happens to you. So you say it every other podcast: being available is a skill. Yep. So Avail- availability is one of the most important abilities. So hopefully Cout gets healthy. Hopefully Bowers gets healthy and they're right where they left off, at least in Bowers case and Cout hopefully starts looking like he did last year a bit more. And that's Um, been, that's been the real disappointment. I think the Eagles have been okay. Like they're a competitive team. Yeah. Um, They're right in the thick of it with their division, but uh, the disappointment has been the prospect development has been, a little yeah, it, lacking like Nick it, Henry has been really good and that's really encouraging and exciting, but you've got a slew of like top prospects down there. Nick Henry can't be your guy. Right. And you've seen Nick Henry. You've seen a little bit from Igor, but other than that, you know, Ty Lewis is regularly a healthy scratch. A lot of these guys weren't getting opportunity at all before these call-ups that I was talking about. Nick Henry is yeah. playing on the fourth line. Right. And now he has four points in his last six games, I think, since he's gotten bumped up. Imagine so, that. and then obviously the injuries are out of the Eagles control, but still the lacking of, of quick development there is an issue. It, it's frustrating. You, you get some of these guys, especially two guys in Bowers and Cout who have mature games and you expect to be quick developments. They don't need four years to, to sit in an incubator and, and bake, you know, they've got games that translate nicely to the NHL already. They just need to play. They just need to get yep. accustomed to pro speed and they just need the minutes. And that's really all it is. And injuries are the one thing that are going to prevent that. And I should say the, not the one thing, the one thing, the one thing that is acceptable preventing that. <laughs> Right. Like the one thing where you're not talking about firing somebody. Right. Um, it's and it's it's very frustrating and it's disappointing and it just sucks. It just sucks to see because the abs need those guys to work out so that they can move on from Matt Nieto and Colin Wilson and, you know, Pierre Edward Belmar when his two year deal is up. Things like that. Like they need those guys to turn out. It's not just a luxury to have good prospects. You need those guys to turn into cheap NHL players for you. It, if you want to win a cup, it's pretty much a necessity. Mm-hmm. 
And that's just the reality of the league now. But yeah, I I like this Eagles team a lot more over the past couple of weeks. Hopefully, Bowers and, and Kout can get it in on some of this action before all the vets get sent back down and they get buried again. But yeah, more worried about Kout just because it's he's just been a ghost. Yeah, definitely. And in it's hard. We don't know what's going on injury wise. I mean, we we didn't know Antoine Bebo was even healthy until the ads were like, "Well, we have to call him up." Right. It was. There's definitely some mystery stuff that goes on with that. Cow. The only thing we know is it was upper body. That's all we know. Yeah. And it's I don't know. It's always a little mysterious. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um. All right. Next question. Get back to the NHL here. Mike asks for around the league, is Dallas for real? Is Edmonton for real? And what happened to Nashville? Um, I think Dallas is for real and that this is kind of who I expected them to be. Certainly didn't expect them to start as slow as they did. Yeah. And now that they're kind of firing on the cylinders, we expected like their uh, goal suppression is very good. Uh, their offense is solid. You know, they're, they're off and running. I mean, they've been awesome since a really, really slow start. They will eventually settle into an in-between because they had a terrible start that they overcame. And now they're, you know, you're, you're not going to be eight, one and one in your last 10 for an extended period of time. You know, it's, you're just not going to play at that kind of high. You're not going to play, 800 hockey and I guess in the NHL it's might it's like 850 hockey um you're not gonna do that for very long either so uh they will they will settle into an in-between somewhere in there and I think right where they are the St. Louis Dallas Winnipeg Colorado Nashville cluster that and that's city <laughs> yeah it's it's a little generous to you know St. Louis has 34 points and Nashville and Chicago are both at 25 Minnesota's now all the way back up at 24 so the central division after a very slow start is right back to being the central division you know Minnesota was terrible bottom of the NHL the worst they're four points behind the abs now there's the there's a smaller gap between the abs in Minnesota than the abs in St. Louis right now Although we are looking at major uh, variants in games played. Right. But the Evs are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and that is by far the worst record in their last 10 of the entire Central Division. Except Nashville. Except Nashville, who's 3-6-1. Right, which is what's going on with them. They, they're just having a tough streak. I think they're going to be fine. I, I just think that there's too much talent on that team. As, as disjointed as it, that group appears to be, it feels a little bit like Winnipeg of last year where you can kind of see the train wreck coming. You it's know, just not quite here yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, it's too talented of a team for it to all just fall apart. They can still go out there and at 70% effectiveness win enough games that they're going to be, they're going to be playoff contenders. They're going to be, you know, it's it's hard for me to say that they're going to win the division because being nine back already, you know, that's a lot of climbing that they're going to have to do over the next few months. But I still wonder, I wondered this aloud on Twitter yesterday, how real St. Louis is just because they're playing half of their games in overtime. 
just ask the abs how that goes sometimes and i there's i think they're they're six and six i believe in in games that go beyond regulation and when you 12 of 20 of their 25 games have gone beyond regulation like <laughs> you're talking about like a couple of breaks away from st louis being where chicago is and a couple of breaks away the other direction from them being a mile in front of the NHL. Funny how things work like that sometimes. Yeah. But it's it's just that they are like their their margin and that at a plus five goal differential, like razor thin. <laughs> exactly. Like it is razor thin what they've done in one goal games and close games and all that. Like it has that is a balloon that could pop unless they start to really finish games out. Like that's, that's one, that's the only division leader that I look at and I say, that's a team that I don't think can, I I think is going to have to sustain in a different way. There's no way they're going to play 40 overtime games this year and just continue to be this successful. Yeah. I think that would be tough. I do expect Nashville to turn it around at least somewhat. You didn't answer on Edmonton. Can McDavid and Dreisaitl just take turns being Atlas forever for this Edmonton team? I think uh, I think those guys are for real. I think that they are in the middle of those kinds of years, those years where we look back and like Kucherov last year. You know, yeah. like you look at in the East, Pasternak and Marshan, same thing. Like these duos are just destroying. And as long as they stay healthy and as long as they get even league average goaltending, they're not going anywhere, man. Those guys are just too good. They will hard carry that team. And it's crazy because it's not a good team. Like it's Edmonton is not particularly well built, but when you have two guys that are absolutely just destroying and putting up numbers, like it's the eighties again, and you get league average goaltending, like you're fine. I mean, by default, Edmonton's the real deal, right? Because they have James Neal. Right. I I mean, they're the, the no, all jokes aside, they're the real deal because they have the best player in the world and they're, they're finally a top five player in the world right behind him. Right. And I mean, you've got two guys who are averaging nearly two points per game. Like that's okay. That's, that's two goals. They're pulled. They're on a line together. All right. They're combining for two goals a game. You start every game with them up to nothing. Because you're gonna get two, you're gonna get two goals from them no matter what. All right. So when Edmonton gets their two goals out of those two in tonight's game, nobody be surprised. Right. You just hope it doesn't turn into six again. Yeah. Like those guys, those guys are just dominant, man. Like they're dominant, and it's funny because their plus minus is terrible. They either win by a lot or lose by a lot. Right. Like it's, they're so explosive offensively that whatever they're giving back, it still hasn't mattered. They're still on the plus side of it, despite giving a lot of it back. It just doesn't matter. And you can't put them on the power play. McDavid already has 21 power play points. Yeah. Their power play is, is dumb. The Avs saw that firsthand. If you take away all of the his even strength points, Connor McDavid would still be in the top 35 in scoring. There you go. He's kind of all right at the whole hockey thing, especially when you don't have a player specifically to mark him. Yeah, I, who's going to who's going to shut that guy down? 
Ain't nobody. Is it? I mean, is it going to be Callie Rosen? <laughs> He's sure going to try. <laughs> um, Godspeed. All right. That's that's all I got. I guess. All right. One more question. Since tomorrow is American Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. AJ, anything you're thankful for? <laughs> Everything, man. I hear I'm, you. I'm I'm thankful for a job that I love. I'm thankful for all of our listeners and all of our readers. And I know I know it sounds like lip service, but it's really not. I I think you and I are are genuinely thrilled that people are as into the product that we're producing as they are. You know, I I will speak for for Evan uh, in this one as well that we are extremely thankful that you guys give us the opportunity to do what we do. Uh, for a living. This is this is our life. And we would be just some dudes screaming into the void and, and doing whatever if it weren't for the people willing to support us. And you're you guys are our everything. We're nothing without without all of you guys. And so I'm I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for my amazing fiance who has rounded out my personal life and made me as happy as I ever have been as an adult. And you know. That's a pretty good life. Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm not going to top that one. Just ditto everything you said, except for not your fiance, my wife. But yeah, you you get it. <laughs> um, it's a great, yeah, we're 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 in our golden era of life right now. Right. It's it's awesome. Couldn't this is our championship window. Couldn't be more thankful to to be a part of this at, at DNVR and, and have this opportunity to be on this podcast all the time. Uh, the community is great. I love all the support from the viewers. That's the support is great, but we both just want y'all to like the product. And if you like it, then everybody wins. Mm-hmm. So guess we'll end it off like that. As always, thank you for listening. Truly. From the bottom of our hearts, we really do appreciate you guys. Not expecting to do a pod on Thanksgiving. There's always a possibility something crazy will happen. But for sure, you will hear from us Friday. We will be doing a live post-game pod. Keep your eyes peeled after the 2 p.m. game against Chicago. We'll be tweeting it out. You can watch live. We'll probably try and get to some live questions if we can. So would appreciate you tuning into that. And we will talk to you then. Hey, DNVR listeners, StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so be sure to check them out. Their CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, even helped decrease anxiety. CBD is all-natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code DNVR20 at checkout and you can get it shipped straight to your door.